Hello, Queens. We recorded the following episode on January 29th, 2021. One week later, on February 5th, 2021, Christopher Plummer died. Given this unfortunate news, it felt appropriate to add this brief preface to contextualize the conversation you're about to hear. Christopher Plummer may have passed on, but his legacy absolutely remains. So, without further ado, here's the men of 2011. Today's episode is brought to you by The Star Draft. Do you feel like you always know the Oscar nominees before they're announced, or wish that you could share just a bit of Meryl Streep's Oscar glory? Well, now you can. Experience awards season like never before. Sign up today to create or join a league at www.thestardraft.com. We share the, the same love, the, the love of film. And now what I'm about to say probably will stir up a lot of conversation around over the country. You commie, homo-loving sons of guns. It's not about you. It's about these characters. They are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men. And I am greatly honored and tremendously moved. Don't let anybody tell you this isn't a terrific thrill. It would be a lie if I told you I didn't know what to say because I've been working on this speech for about 25 years. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I'm Joey Gentilly. And I like guys that got a little hair on their ass. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. That's perfect for you. Uh, and this is uh, Academy Queens, your LGBT guide uh, through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And this is the men of 2012. First of all, I love how I went the laziest route with something from the artist by not saying a goddamn thing. So don't know if you caught that, but uh, that's a perfect opening for you. Yeah, it was a it was a good line that I instantly wrote down. Good for you. Uh, 2011. What, what a messy year, just like it's women that year. Yeah, it's, um, it's a strange year. It's not great. Not great. Um, from something like extremely loud and incredibly close being up for best picture to, I mean, just very uninspiring from every category. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a lackluster year in my opinion. Agreed, agreed. Um, I it's weird because I feel like talking about how lackluster it is. Obviously, we we did this episode with Thelma. Um, I almost said Thelma Ritter. That would have been awesome. Um, but yeah, we did it with uh Thelma Adams in for the women, and so it's just us this time. And I kind of just want to dive in so we can just talk about how awful it is. Uh, sure, but let us not forget the guesses. Right. Um, go ahead, go first. See what you see. See if you got me. Um, I have a feeling in lead about Damien Bichir for A Better Life, and um, in supporting Nick Nolte for Warrior. Interesting. Well, I, I see you agreeing with the Academy for Christopher Plummer. Um, for lead, that's a thing. I could see you go Clooney or Bashir. But I think you're going to connect with Bashir more. So I'm also going to say you're Demi and Bashir. Okay. So with that said, 
your Best Supporting Actor nominees of 2011 were Jonah Hill in Moneyball, Nick Nolte in Warrior, Max von Sydow in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, Christopher Plummer in Beginners, and Kenneth Branagh in My Week with Marilyn. All right. Let us start off this year with Jonah Hill as Peter Brand in Moneyball. This is his first of two nominations. And going into Oscar night, he has nominations from Golden Globe, BAFTA, and SAG, all in supporting. In Moneyball, again, Jonah plays Peter Brand, who is a um, newly out-of-college uh, guy who gets a job working in the MLB, who ends up becoming Bradley Pitt's right-hand man um, in support and figuring out how statistics work to build a baseball team, or I don't fucking know. I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I still don't know what it's about. Um, so let's talk about him. Jonah Hill, his first nomination. He did very well with us for The Wolf of Wall Street, as I believe we both gave him the win, actually. Um, so let's see if he can win again for us this year. So I um, I also like Jonah Hill and Moneyball. Um, when I first watched Moneyball when it came out, it didn't really click with me. Um, I've never really been a sports fanatic. I'm not necessarily anti-sports. I just never really cared um, about them. So I think when I first watched Moneyball, it was just a movie that I was like, eh, it's fine. Uh, it, it accomplishes what it sets out to do, and that's about it. Um, I'm glad I rewatched it this um, last go around here um, because it hit me a little bit different this time. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm a little bit older, uh, maybe removed from this Oscar season, but um, I like it more than I used to. Um, Jonah Hill gives a performance in this movie that is so different from what he would go on to do a couple years later with The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, these characters could not be more different. Um, it reminds me of when we spoke about Melissa McCarthy last year and like how different could you possibly go from Bridesmaids to Can You Ever Forgive Me? And I think this is another example of two very um, opposing characters and styles of performance. Um, our colleague at In Session Film, Jay Ledbetter, has this thing on the In Session Film podcast where he is like obsessed with characters who are good at their jobs. That's like become his brand. And um, watching this movie this last time, that's what Jonah Hill reminded me of. Um, he is someone who is very knowledgeable, um, very intelligent, and um, entirely necessary to the space that he occupies. Um, people might write him off because he's young, doesn't quite have the clout um, that others do, at least not in the beginning. But um, he really comes into his own uh, throughout this movie. And um, I really like his arc as a character and what he ends up contributing. Um, when this movie's over, I feel like I have a better understanding of how baseball works, um, the playing of it and the um, recruiting of it. And I think that has a lot to do with Hill's performance. Um, it's a very clear and transparent performance. And that's not saying that there's um, nothing to it. There is definitely s some bit of depth to it that's not immediately apparent. But um, I think he's doing quite well here. Um, I think this is the one that people don't quite um, gravitate toward as heavily when it comes to his nominations. But um, I think he's, he's doing more here than meets the eye. 
See, you know who loved this performance, and I mentioned it in that episode, was Karen Black. She did vote for him here. Um, miss you, bitch. Um, I am very on the fence with this be- because it's not bad. This is not a bad performance. This is actually a very good performance. What I'm on the fence with is I don't know if I agree with the statement you made of him having an arc because he doesn't really contribute anything to this movie. And let me break this down here. So I rewatched this obviously for this and um, I am not a sports fan. I fucking hate sports. I think they're the epitome of everything wrong in pop culture. Um, I really have a disdain for them but that doesn't mean i go into these movies or hate every sports movie like i love the mighty ducks i love you know shit like that like there are really good sports movies this is not one of them um this movie is very boring this movie doesn't really give me an insight to how sports work or the behind the scenes of them it to me it's just this movie is about a guy who wants to build a team and no one agrees with him and then he has to prove him wrong so it really doesn't give an insight into how baseball works, in my opinion. Now, Jonah Hill, I think you hit it on the head where this is a guy who knows how to do his job. This is a this is this is a role and something that he plays very well in the sense of he's doing what he needs to do, but he's not doing anything extra or quote unquote needed to shine through. Um, there isn't a, there isn't a quote unquote Oscar scene for him. And this isn't a, so much a film that has him being, um, um, what's the word? Not nuanced, but, um, like how I usually go for showy performances and you go for the performances that are like, uh, what's that word? Subtle. Subtle. Thank you. Thank you. Um, he's not being subtle here. He's just kind of doing his job. Um, so I don't. I think his Wolf of Wall Street work is definitely way better, um, but this is this is fine. I just don't. This is fine. I feel like if I say any more, it's going to give away where I'm putting him. But this is fine. So the complete opposite reaction. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think he's doing. I think he is doing quite a bit. He does have an arc here in that he is completely in a different place by the end of the movie like when we first meet him it's in like that boardroom where he doesn't really speak he just kind of whispers to people who have the confidence and the the role uh that's worthy of speaking and by the end he seems to have his own agency and um a completely different um place within this industry uh this league however you want to put it um, and I kind of, I kind of see myself a bit in this character, I guess, and that, um, I'm kind of really awkward and unsure of myself in a lot of spaces. And after a while, slowly start to break free of the, the cocoon. Um, so I do see this character as having an arc in the way that, you know, a supporting character can. Um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, with Hill, I think I mentioned this with The Wolf of Wall Street. I felt like that was a role that and no one else could have played. Unfortunately for this one, I just feel like this is where anyone could have done it. But, again, very interesting to see where he ranks for both of us now because we have very opposite reactions. So, 
All right, all right. Uh, let us move on to Nick Nolte as Patty Conlon in Warrior. This is his third of three nominations thus far. And going into Oscar night, just two nominations, one from Critics' Choice and one from SAG. In Warrior, again, Nick plays Patty, who is a father scorned. He is um, he's a drunk who uh, used to train his kids. Kids don't want anything to do with it. Or and uh, now has to return to train his kid for MMA fighting by the delicious Tom Hardy. Oh, sorry, I just got nimbly bimbly thinking of that. Um, so Brandon, what do we think of Nick Nolte? I think Nick Nolte is quite good in this movie. Um, Nolte's one of those actors who, when he is given the material, really pulls through. And um, I think this is one of those examples. Um, this is a character who I really feel for. Um, he's been through some stuff, and he has caused the people in his life to be through some stuff, um, given his issues with addiction, his struggles with overcoming those things. And... Um, he kind of dragged his kids along or dragged them into it and uh, his marriage suffered. And so he is someone who I think is permanently uh, making amends, uh, paying penance for what he has done. And uh, some people in his life forgive him and others not. And I think that probably translates to the audience. There's probably some audience members who um, just see him as despicable and others, um, not so much. Uh, but I think he he paints a very vivid portrait here with this character. Um, he seems like a a real person with some di- dimensionality and some depth. Um, and he truly just breaks my heart by the end. Um, it's a character that I really find myself feeling for and wanting him to be better and um, wanting him to make things right and for this family to become whole again. And um, he struggles with that. And uh, I can't help but feel things when I'm watching this movie. And uh, it's crazy that Nick Nolte has three Oscar nominations, and yet he's not really seen as um, a quote-unquote great actor in Hollywood. You know, like the people who admire him admire him, no doubt. But he's not really someone that the general public thinks of as the big actors of his generation, which is kind of odd considering he has three Academy Award nominations under his belt. Um, I think more, I wish he had more opportunities. Uh, I'm not sure if he's just not being offered things or if he's just very selective, possibly, about what he does. But um, given what we've seen here, um, I wish we got more um, from him. Yeah, I think this is a very good performance for him. Um, It is very heartbreaking. There um, is there's a moment in this film where despite everything that's going on, he really takes charge because he takes your whole emotion. And that's that breakdown scene of his um, where he's drinking and relapses on alcohol. 
and Tom Hardy has to go pick him up. And you really, you really, really feel for him. And it is, um, it, it, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's very much, oh my God, um, are you watching the possible end of this man? And he sells it. He he really does because you are rooting for him. You are rooting for this for this um, relationship to to work despite the arrogance of Tom Hardy's character, which you you understand um, from his past. And you know it's one of those things where you kind of um, you're disappointed in him as well. And Nolte sells every single moment of this movie, and it's really good. And um, it's very, it, it's very touching. I'm into it. I'm really into this one. So yeah, I like it. I like this one a lot. Yeah, I do too. Um, he, he's also given some, he's given like the full spectrum here in terms of, you know, him being sort of the, the humble down to earth guy who's just trying to do his best to, like you said, where he has his his breakdown and he gets really pushed to the breaking point. And um, it's really tragic when he does relapse. Um, I think it's given the nature of the character in the movie, it's something you kind of see coming to a certain extent, but even so when it does happen, there is still a heavy impact. And um, that's all Nick Nolte, you know, um, another actor, it could have just felt like the predictable plot point for the recovering dad to relapse. But with Nick Nolte, there's still um, a gut punch to it, and he makes it entirely believable. And, uh, yeah, my heart goes out to that character. So so go Nick Nolte. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. All right, well, let's get to this year's uh, winner, Christopher Palmer, as Hal in Beginners. This is his uh, second of three nominations, but obviously he wins here. Um, he kind of wins everything under the sun except for two. So he wins Supporting Actor from Golden Globe, BAFTA Critics' Choice, Spirit, and LA Film Critics Association, and SAG, while he's nominated at National Society of Film Critics and the New York Film Critics Association. Um, again, Christopher Palmer plays Hal in Beginners, and Hal is a man who... Uh, connects with the son after being diagnosed with cancer and comes out uh, at 80 some odd years old with a younger man as a lover. And it's um, the story of Ewan McGregor who, who plays his son uh, dealing with his dad coming out as gay and dying of cancer. So uh, Brandon, what do we think? So watching this movie again, um, Christopher Plummer reminded me of something that I've heard said before about people who come out um, in their 20s and 30s. Of course, Christopher Plummer is you know, much older in this film, but um, I've heard it said that a lot of gay people, gay men in particular, experience their teenage years in their 20s and 30s because their actual teenage years were not theirs to live. And... Um, Watching this movie again and seeing Christopher Plummer's character really come into his own 
and really live his life in his 70s um, in some ways for the first time. Um, of course, he had a family and a life and career before that, but not quite in this way. Um, it, I found it really kind of touching uh, because his character becomes very active in social groups, in activism, um, in nightlife. And it's really, it's heartwarming, yet also deeply sad at the same time that the majority of this person's life was not really his to live. Um, you know, he made some choices early on in his youth and in his early adulthood that were not easy choices to make. Um, but given the time period, he didn't really have another option or perhaps didn't perceive that he had another option. Um, so I feel really happy for this person when he um, does come out. Of course, it, it comes at the expense of someone's death. It's only in the his wife's departure from this world that he felt like that it was time to do so. And so that has a layer of sadness to it as well. Um, but I think Christopher Plummer really is really honest in his portrayal of this person whose who's life finally hit the play button. And um, he kind of condenses an entire life of queerness into just, what, a couple of years, I think, um, from when he comes out to when he dies. Uh, so this is a, I think this is a really lovely performance that, um, that I really dig. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we've talked about this before. I, I'm very fortunate, um, in my experience of coming out because it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad thing. Um, I also came out at 13, so I came out very young. So I understand when people, A, wait, you know, because you have to do it when you're ready. And B, um, that whole thing about uh, um, um, experiencing your your teen years when you come out or, you know, your 20s and 30s. So I, I can only imagine what it would be like being 80. Let's see, he's 81 in this movie. I don't remember how old he is exactly. Coming out at 81, fully living your life. Um, it's sad and yet very exciting to me. Um, very, very interesting. Um, and I, I feel for this character. Um, this is a role that, uh, really needed the right person to do it. And I think Plummer was that person. Um, I would have loved personally to see Ian McKellen play this role. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I've said it before, I'm not a person who thinks, you know, you have to have a gay actor or, or a trans actor play a trans character or a gay a uh, character. I think it needs to be the best person for the role. And, um, I think Plummer is great for this, but I think McKellen would have been perfect. And it is what Plummer is doing here is, um, is really fascinating. And, it is also one of those things where I'm taking on that emotional journey of everything. 
And uh, yeah, I, I like this one too. I appreciated this movie a lot more um, years down the line. I'm not going to lie. When I first saw this movie, I was like, what? Huh? Huh? How is he? Mm, no. Um, but this is definitely one that I had to uh, experience more life to truly appreciate it. And uh, I'm into it. Yeah, I'm into this one. Yeah, I am too. Um, this is a movie that I've always really liked. Um, but I honestly, when I rewatched it for this movie, it was only the second time watching it. Uh, it's a movie that hit me on a very unexpectedly profound level back when I watched it. And it had actually nothing to do with Christopher Plummer. Um, it's something very specific that happens in the movie that happened to be resonating with something that was going on with myself. And so I always kind of loved this movie for that. And I actually kind of dreaded rewatching this movie because I didn't know how I would respond nine years later. And it still hit me, but in a way that I was, you know, expecting. And I was able to, like, kind of control it, which was really nice. But, um, you know, I've, I've always really liked this movie and um, and Christopher Plummer. I remember liking Christopher Plummer on the night. I don't recall, actually, who my winner was on the night. But I remember thinking that if Christopher Plummer won, I would be happy. Um, and I still still really like this win. Um you know, you'll see later on whether or not he is my actual number one personally, but I, I do like this win um, as it stands in real life. Yeah, um, I mean, I gave Plummer the win in 2017, so y'all about to see if I'm going to give him two. Find out. Stay tuned. Um, we do have a question. Where is it? Ah, Jeffrey Care. Now, I could wait for this one, but I think we can answer this. Um, who do you think was the runner-up to Christopher Palmer in Best Supporting Actor? I'm guessing Kenneth Branagh, given that he was the only other contender who was nominated by every single precursor. Plus, he was playing Laurence Olivier in a Weinstein movie. Can I start with this one? Sure. Um, I don't think so. Here's why. I mentioned, I've talked about this before. And I remember specifically because I was living in L.A. at this time. Uh, by the way, living in L.A. on Oscar night is fascinating as all hell. Um, and I remember specifically reading that if it, this was a battle of the octogenarians. And I've said it and with um, uh, when uh, Eric, our other octogenarian friend, was on with us. And had said the hardest thing to do outside of winning the Oscar is getting the nomination. And I love when people get those random nominations. Like, despite my feelings for Marina de Tavira in Roma, for an example, for that episode, that's why it was brought up. I'm pretty sure she was pretty much third or second in that lineup. I would have to say Max Foncito because, A, there was a uh narration going into that night as the battle of the octogenarians and b we'll find out very shortly he didn't get a single precursor going into that and his movie pulled a best picture nomination out of nowhere i definitely want to say as much as i see on paper how brana would make sense von Cito was the runner up here i can see why that would be i'm honestly not sure um for some weird reason i'm feeling like there might have been an industry push 
toward Nick Nolte. Maybe there wasn't the media push or the critics push, but he just seems like one of those people who who folks within the industry might want to give that little boost to. Um, but I honestly could conceive of maybe any of them uh, being runner-up. I mean, Christopher Plummer, from what I recall, was the, like, the undisputed shoe-in to win this, so there was, really wasn't much competition. I feel like it was probably a four-way tie for second place. But sure. um, for some reason, I, I see Nolte as being, if not runner-up, a really close third. Well, with that, then, let's just dive into Von Sydow, shall we? Sure. Max von Sydow plays a character by the name of The Renter in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. This is his final of his two nominations. We won't get to his first until Pele the Conqueror in the 80s. Um, no, not a single precursor from any of the big awards. Now, he did get something, I think, like the Hawaii Film Critics, but in all honesty, we don't ever count those um, unless it's the AARP, which they didn't even honor him here. here. So, Brandon, what's with your favorite uh, voting booth not nominating an octogenarian? Interesting choices. Um, in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, again, Von Cito plays the renter, who is a um, mute man who goes on a journey with a really annoying kid to find a key in New York City. Let's talk about this performance here. Yeah, so um, Max Von Cito, um, undisputed um, heavyweight in the film world, particularly in international film. Um, you know, if you're a crit- criterion collection person uh he's definitely in some of your favorites um so it's it's crazy that this was like he's only got two nominations first of all which is crazy and then you know that this would be his final one um he's uh he's a pro um i'm not a huge fan of this movie and um i think he's doing what he can here um he certainly has a presence um he's very aware of how to tell a story without words um he uh there's um i'm trying i'm struggling to put it to find the right way of phrasing this but he seems to be very skilled at physical performance um he might not speak and yet somehow he's able to communicate this character's thoughts and feelings with his eyes and hands and his his uh his furrow the furrow of his eyebrows um that's not to say that he's a fully transparent character who's readable there is a mysterious quality to him um and we learn a little bit more about him as the film goes on but he Von Cito is able to tell us what we need to know when we need to know it um, from beat to beat. Um, and uh, even though I don't think this movie's that great, and I don't know that it really gives him that many opportunities on the page, he seems to be um, digging through his toolkit to find every trick he knows to um create this character and um deliver what i think is a pretty memorable performance in a pretty lackluster movie in my opinion i've never really been a fan of this i remember watching it way back uh 2011 and thinking 
okay. And then I watched it again thinking, well, maybe my opinion will change in the way that it changed watching Moneyball. And I have to say, I still kind of found myself scratching my head a little bit. But I think uh, Max Moncito is is perfectly fine in the in the role. Yeah, this movie's not good. <laughs> this movie is not fucking good. It's um it's quite an inspired choice for best picture especially, but um yeah. Um now before I get into my feelings, have you seen his first nomination? It's for uh it's in Swedish, it's called Pele the Conqueror. No, that's one I have not seen. I've seen a whole bunch of his movies, but for some reason his other Oscar nomination is not one of them. So I had probably seen Pele when I was working at Blockbuster, and I'm that I think is 88 or 89. It's like one of the final years in the 80s. So it'll be, um, you know, if we get down that far eventually, um, it'll be one of the first episodes of that season. And I'll be really interested to hear what you have to say here, because like Jonah Hill here, here's where I see a complete opposite for uh, Von Sydow. Um you know, last week I talked about with Denzel Washington and Flight, how it's not a great movie, but it is a great performance. And it is a performance that you can truly appreciate from the movie being so bad. Ah, this is not a good performance and not a good performance movie. I just remember especially like his Oscar clip was that clip where Oscar, the kid um, in this movie, plays him uh, like a message on a machine and he doesn't really do anything. Uh, he just kind of like puts his hand or he turns it off and puts his hands over his ears no <laughs> what 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 how did how in the fuck did this get pulled off here for a nomination um especially you know i love i love me a good nomination that comes from nowhere i mean hello penelope milford but this is not good this he's not doing anything here he's he's not reacting i feel like to the scenarios at hand he's he's just answering this kid in the most ridiculous ways i mean this is kind of going to lead into a question here that we got but like hello alan rickman and harry potter deathly hollows part two what what i no Mm-mm. mama does not like I wonder how much um, my just affinity for Von Sito is playing into this. Because um, I don't think this is his greatest performance by any means. I wouldn't even put this in a top 10. Far from it, probably. But I think what I know of his work is playing into my opinion here and being able to see um, the different um, acting attributes. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, that he's uh, playing into here. Um, so I I have a feeling that my just familiarity with him might be might be helping. Uh, perhaps it's a, just a, a fandom bias, but um, I think he's doing fine here. I always think, too, with Von Cito, like, you look at something, and I cannot, again, I love the 70s, um, but, like, thinking of, like, even his work in The Exorcist, like... That was way better than this. I just don't know. I don't know. But I do um, – are you good on Von Cito for a second? Yeah. So I just want to bring this question up because I brought it up um, from Andrew Cunningham. Um, even though the Academy never really looked uh, – really took to the Harry Potter films in the major categories, what are y'all's thoughts on Alan Rickman's performance in Harry Potter and Deathly, Deathly Hallows Part Two? And do you think he was snubbed of a nomination? Um, I, I say yes just because I just mentioned it. And um, it just really makes me sad that despite I do like Von Cito as an actor, I'm with you there, 
that despite Rickman's brilliance in this film, he was looked over for something like this. It, it kind of makes me really, it's one of those moments where I scratch my head at the Academy. Yeah, I think Rickman is quite good in pretty much the entire Harry Potter franchise. I mean, it's one of the more interesting and consistent performances in the entire series, and I would have supported um, him getting recognition for it. Um, but, you know, it's important to remember uh, the Academy has very little to do with merit. And I don't know how much of a push Rickman was getting and how seriously people within the Academy were taking um, his performance and everything he had contributed to that entire franchise. But um, had he been nominated for it, I, I think that would have been cool as hell. And um, I would back him personally. Yes. Yes. Um, and then uh, from Promenta, I'm sorry, P Promita Anatello. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, I didn't know Max was nominated for Extremely Loud Incredibly Close. I watched the movie knowing nothing about it, and then at the end, I was so pleasantly surprised, and now I'm happy he got nominated. So, Promenta Anatello is a fan. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm happy that he got nominated in general. I just wish his nominations um, could have been for, you know, something else. I, I, I see what you mean. Um, and then Chris Michael Smith has a question, but it will tie in with Jean Dujardin. So I'm going to wait to bring that up until we get to lead. Because okay. it does tie in with Von Cito as well. Mm -hmm. Let us get to our final nominee this year in this category of Kenneth Branagh as Lawrence, Sir Lawrence Olivier in My Week with Marilyn. This is his fifth of five nominations, but his second for acting. Um, which I wasn't even aware that he had nominations for like short film and writing. I knew directing and acting for Henry V. So very interesting to find that out. Were you aware? Not for short film, no. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, he pulled a Christine Bransky, although no, no shade, but Bransky won for that. Um, in going into Oscar night, he, like Jeffrey Kerr mentioned, was everywhere, but just for nominations. So on paper, I could see what Kerr means by him being second, but... Uh, Golden Globes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, and SAG for supporting. In My Week with Marilyn, again, Rana plays Sir Lawrence Olivier, uh, Marilyn's co-star, played by Michelle Williams, who gets very frustrated with the way uh, the little lost girl act, as he says. So, Brandon, what are your thoughts here with Rana? Uh Just really quick, uh, Christine Lottie, uh, not Christine Baranski. Oh, did I say Baranski? I'm sorry. I think so. I just want to throw that out there to uh, deflect the ats. Yes, your so, yeah. 1984 supporting actress winner, Miss Christine Lottie. Yes. Um, so, uh, not Olivier, um, Branagh, I have meh feelings about him as a whole. For some reason, when I watch him acting, I'm always very aware that he's acting. That just seems to be his style. Um, I think it works sometimes. Um, here in my week with Marilyn, considering he's playing Laurence Olivier, who is sort of like the king of acting, it kind of works. Because, um, I mean, Olivier was very... Uh, people people in theater call it technical acting, um, or at least some people in theater that I know, um, where he was he would build characters from the outside, and it was a lot of it had to do with um, the the physical appearance, uh, presence, voice, posture, all that. And since Branagh's playing this particular person from theater and film, 
I guess it kind of works. Um, but I still don't really find this performance very interesting beyond that. I frequently forget that he was nominated for this performance. Um, because I'm just simply not all that intrigued by what he's doing. Uh, unfortunately, that's pretty much the the bottom line for me. It's Kenneth Branagh kind of being Kenneth Branagh. I know he's literally playing Lawrence Olivier, but he's doing his Kenneth Branagh bit in doing so. So um, for me, it's just kind of a, a shoulder shrug. I could see that. Um, I honestly wasn't sure how you would react to this one, especially because acting-wise, we won't get to him until 89 with Henry V, and that's just pure Shakespearean Brana. And it it's interesting. Did you see Tenant? Not yet. So I will say a very positive thing about Tenant is Kenneth Branagh as the villain. I think he makes a really good villain. I think that's probably my favorite performance I'd, I've ever personally seen him do. Um, this one, I don't mind this one, actually. I think this is pretty well done. I just, I, I don't know if he's really given a whole lot to do um, outside of just, I guess, audio commentary on what's happening. The big Oscar scene he has was that, I, that Marilyn knows exactly what she's doing. Like that is his big scene in the movie. And that's clearly his Oscar clip as it was. Um, but it is, um, it's Michelle Williams, show. Let's just be honest. I mean, no one's going to deny that. Um, but I don't think this is, this, this isn't bad. And this isn't, this isn't like the best supporting actor nomination I think I've ever seen. Um, clearly, but I, 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 I don't mind this one. I, I, I like this one. Yeah, I wouldn't call it bad either. It's just not something I'm very into. I I will say that I I do get some level of amusement out of how um sort of prissy his character is from time to time. Like I I enjoy when the bitchy side of Laurence Olivier comes out in him. It at least, you know, gets a little smirk out of me. But as a whole, I find the performance mostly forgettable. Yeah, and it's funny because are you familiar with Olivier's work? Yeah. So we don't get to talk about him for quite some time. In fact, the 70s. <laughs> like, 79 is for us with the boys from Brazil. I'm sorry, 78 with the boys from Brazil is the first time we'll be able to talk about him. So I'm interested because I know – well, actually, I mean, we did kind of talk about him with Othello, but mm, that was not – <laughs> that was a choice. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm interested to hear what you have to say when we get to 70s, Olivier. Because yeah, we this... also have um, Marathon Man in the 70s. What's up? We also have Marathon Man in the 70s. And Sleuth. He was doing more in the 70s than I realized. Yeah. Well, I mean, looking at his stuff, because I'm looking at him really quick, I mean, he's from the 40s to the 70s. So, I mean, the man was, the man's a talent, you know, Olivier is, um, I also think it's interesting, Henry V, with his writing and actor nomination, and um, Kenneth Branagh was also nominated for acting and directing for Henry V. So, you, I mean, we have to remember, this was a dream role for Branagh to do, because Olivier is his biggest muse and inspiration. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. It's um there it's it's a beautiful kind of um 
full circle moment for Kenneth here. You know he was having the time of his life with this role. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he was very honored to be playing this part. Mm-hmm. But uh, as we know, I'm not a fan of Shakespeare. So, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to get to when we get to those. Right. <sighs> but anyway, that is us. That's it for the uh, so very lackluster supporting actor nominations. Yeah, and um, your nominees for Best Leading Actor in 2011 were Jean Dujardin for The Artist, uh, Damien Bashir for A Better Life, George Clooney for The Descendants, Gary Oldman for Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, and Bradley Pitt for Moneyball. Okay, let's start off with our winner for the year, uh, Jean Dujardin, winning for The Artist. This is his first and only win and nomination. Going into this, he was a bit of a threat as he takes the Golden Globe for Comedy Musical. He also wins with BAFTA, SAG, uh, Spirit Award, and at Cannes Film Festival. And he's recognized um, at the Cesar Awards with Critics' Choice, the National Society of Film Critics, and he's part of the SAG Ensemble nomination for the artist. And the artist, uh, Dujardin, plays George Valentin, an arrogant movie star who reigns supreme during the silent era. But his lights begin to dim with the advent of sound and um, a rising starlet who begins to take the spotlight away. So how do you feel about Jean Dujardin in The Artist? Can I just talk about this whole time, how beautiful this man is? I want to drink his bathwater, lick his sweat, smell his balls, feel him suffocate me as he sits on my face. I want him to engulf me in every inch possible while I simultaneously top and bottom for him. I want Jean Dujardin to have the respect in this country that he deserves. I want him to have gotten a second Oscar nomination for The Wolf of Wall Street. I want more films starring Jean Dujardin and Jean Dujardin to pull a Christopher Plummer's character in Beginners and come out as gay, or at least bisexual, because God damn it, holy hell, what a delicious, sexy piece of white chocolate he is. And scene. And that's it. Okay. Um, I quite like Dujardin. Is it Dujardin? Dujardin? I'm I'm horrible at names. It's his French name is uh, Jean Dujardin. Okay. Everyone who listens to this show regularly knows I don't do names. But yes, he is. He's pretty good in the artist. Um, I feel like this is a win that gets mocked. Um, people write this one off. Um, perhaps that's just you know feelings about the artist as a whole. I believe I said in our episode with Thelma Adams, I'm not a huge fan of the artist. Um, I think it's well done. Um, It's well shot and constructed and everything about it is well done. It's just not quite my thing. Um, But Dujardin is quite good in it. He he has kind of the perfect face for this type of um, performer. Oh, yeah, yeah, that too. Yes, that Yes, all, all of the above, perfect face, mm-hmm. all situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally believe that he is a silent film star at the in the early days of Hollywood. Um, he seems to be completely in control of all of his facial muscles, and um, he seems born for the silent era. Um, he also has a really great, 
um, charisma and energy to him. Um, this is, of course, you know, a silent film or mostly silent film. And um, you you really need that that gravity and energy to really carry um, the film. Uh, it's a very special talent that silent film stars had. Um, of course, some were more suited than others. And had he existed back then, I think Jean Dujardin would have been a really great silent film star. Um, I think a lot of this movie's charm is due to him. Um, a lot of the movie's um, humor is due to him. And even in the more serious moments, like toward, um, again, the final act, when he has his sort of um, breakdown sequence, and I think um, his house, he sets his house on fire or something. Um, he's very believable in those moments, but he, he rides a really tricky line where he is believable to a modern audience while also being true to the style of the time, um, it kind of works on two different levels. Um, so this is a very skilled and technical performance um, that I don't think deserves the flack that it gets. He's pretty. He's really pretty. I like him a lot. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> I feel like a schoolgirl. <laughs> I don't even like like I know this sounds whatever, but like I wouldn't consider like him to be twinkish, but he's like twink daddy ish away. He's too thin for my liking, is what I'm saying. But whew, that man, oh god, oh, I need ma'am. a mop. Man, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> I need a mop. We can move on. Well, oh, the question, the question. Chris Michael Smith. Sorry, Chris, I got distracted. This year saw a nomination and win for two silent roles. Oh, this year saw a nomination and a win. Oh, there we go. Okay, and a win for two silent roles, uh, Von Sido and Bashir. Uh, plus one more nomination in the supporting actress category, Bejo. Are there any other purely physical performances that you think deserved recognition? Uh, I'm going to answer a que or answer this with a question that I don't, know if he's referring to 2011 in general or in general general mm. yeah i was about to ask that question too um because if we're talking 2011 or just this movie um my evergreen answer is john goodman from what the artist oh yeah goodman i mean yeah um hmm I don't know. I'd ha Can I come back to this near the end of it? To I have to look this up. Okay. I, I have to. I have to think of this. But uh, but yeah, that's it for right now. Okay. Well, in the meantime, we have uh, Damien Bashir uh, nominated for a Better Life. This is so far his first and only win. He does not win anything. I'm sorry, his first and only nomination. He does not win anything going into this major, but he is recognized with SAG, uh, the Spirit Awards, and with the Alma Awards. In A Better Life, Bashir plays Carlos, a gardener struggling to give his son um, the best life possible. Um, but um, gangs, a stolen truck, and immigration enforcement make uh, that very difficult for him. So how do you feel about Damien Bashir in A Better Life? This is, I think, if you look at the entire leading actor category of the decade... 
this is a very forgotten nomination already. And I understand the movie. The movie is a very brisk 90 minutes, which please take note, many Oscar films. Um, But this is one that I think unfortunately gets forgotten because it's a beautiful performance. I mean, it it really is. This is... um, this is a this is a performance that came out of nowhere, essentially, when we have a question about it, um, that came out of nowhere and was really a tear on the heartstrings. I mean, we we as a country need a lot of work when it comes to um, acceptance of many people. And that includes immigrants. And because we I think tend to forget in modern day that we are, unless you're Native American, we're all immigrants to this country. Um, I am, you are, um, we're we're not natively from here. And, you know, the American dream is to come here and build a better life. And that is what Bashir does. And the system, which is a very shitty system that needs revamped, doesn't work for people like him and despite him being here and you know paying paying his taxes through property and all that stuff it um it is very uh very unfortunate what happens to him and it's a story about that and um his his emotion from being a single father to a very shitty kid um to his sister helping out to you know, he lo- the moment that he, you you feel his pride when he gets that truck and there's that scene right before his truck gets stolen by a worker he took under his arms uh, where he's so proud. He's at the top of the palm tree and it, it's the, the entire city of Los Angeles is in his palm now. That's the American dream. And then you see it crash down the moment he notices that Santiago isn't below him and going after the truck and his journey to get the truck. Then finally he's got it. But then the realization of ice and then you know the very racist don't come back as a coyote you know it's 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 all here and um yeah it's a it's a beautiful film it's a beautiful performance and something that i think people need to remember is actually here and not forget it some of my uh favorite moments of performance um in this movie deal with um Bashir and his son um because um yeah the main plot if you want to call it that is um their search for the stolen truck which is sort of the truck is sort of a, a MacGuffin in a way um because I think the real story is the story of this father and son um this son who is basically was the son born in America or at the very least he's lived if not all of it the majority of his life here and he is for all intents and purposes an American what was that yeah I do believe they said he was born here okay his first generation American right okay so you have a father who's an undocumented immigrant um trying so hard to achieve that American dream for his son who is always on the cusp of going down the quote-unquote wrong path, um, a path toward self-destruction when it comes to, you know, gangs and all that. And he's also, the son, losing his connection to his heritage. 
like I recall in in the course of finding the truck, they go to that um that festival, and the son doesn't seem all that proud of their cultural iconography. He kind of makes fun of it, and I think mocks other people in attendance, which is kind of a stab in the heart to his father. Who I th- who, and in those moments, I think Bashir's character realizes that in trying to create a quote-unquote better life for his son, in trying to create this perfect American dream, he has inadvertently sacrificed who they are and why they are there and um, what is at stake um, for him. So it's those really subtle moments between the father and son where they're really discussing their background and what it means um, to be where they're from while being in the place where they currently are and being proud of a of a heritage that he's sort of left but wants to re- maintain a connection to it's a there's a lot of duality going on in this movie um that i find really intriguing and um bashir has a really complex um job here and being able to play this character on many different la- levels uh, simultaneously um I think Bashir is much better than the movie itself. For some reason, this movie, I feel like it never quite lives up to its potential. I've seen this movie two or three times, and I always feel like there's there's something missing that I can't quite put my finger on. I'm not sure what it is, um, but I feel like there's something more there. But um, my faults with the movie have nothing to do with Bashir. I think he is quite good in this performance. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely one that I feel needs a rewatch if you've only seen it once. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one that I wish people remember more because it is really good. Um, we have a question from Christoph. How did the Demian the Demian Bashir nomination happen? He only had a free few pre I can't fucking talk. He only had a few precursor noms and no wins. The film had good but not great reviews. He had no career momentum. In fact, his name recognition was and still is rather low. And the film didn't get any other nominations. Thoughts? You know, I'm honestly not sure. Um, this is those. Um, this is a case of um, I, I really like when things like this happen. Um, when uh, someone just comes suppo- uh, seemingly out of nowhere. Um, and they're recognized not due to the precursors, but due to people watching the movie and um, ranking him pretty high on their ballots. Um, I'm not sure what it was about this movie that captured the the hearts and minds of so many Academy members at that particular moment. Um, I'm sure timing probably played into it, but um, I really dig it. I mean, it goes to show that the precursors aren't math. I mean, people out here right now on the internet trying to use precursor math to determine who the nominees are going to be this year. I mean, okay, good luck. Um, but I mean, I think I, I really like when things like this happen personally. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, this is just I don't know. I don't like a year like we saw last year that's just set and everything. It just whatever. Um, so I welcome more things like this. Yeah. 
So that's all we got so far. Okay. Uh, next, we have George Clooney nominated for The Descendants. This is his fourth of four acting nominations. Going into this, he was sort of the other threat to win. Uh, he takes the Golden Globe for drama. He wins with Critics' Choice, and he is the National Board of Review winner. And he's also recognized um, with BAFTA at SAG as both a lead and part of uh, the ensemble and uh, the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. In The Descendants, uh, George Clooney plays Matt King, um, who is trying to reconnect with his daughter following the death of his wife while dealing with the very relatable issue of what to do with his 25,000 acres of property on Hawaii. So how do you feel about George Clooney and The Descendants? Man, this movie is white people, white people-ing. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, yeah. Um, Alexander Payne. Besides Sideways, I have a very love-hate relationship with his films. Um, this is no no different. Um, I okay. So Mary Birdsong, who is in the film, as do you remember when Matt, played by George, runs after he finds out that his wife has been cheating to their friend's house, and it's like the husband and wife. She's the wife, right? Mm -hmm. So. I had spoken to her um, about this because I met her while living in LA the year that this was going, you know, at the nominations. And um, um, she was very upset that that George didn't win for this because she's just like, obviously it's her film that she was in. And, you know, she's like, I just don't understand, you know, this dude just comes out of nowhere from France. <laughs> And like has no lines and George has this big thing and yada yada and the process about how she got in the film and you know got to learn that but um it kind of stuck with me how much people were championing this this role because while the film I don't think is great and it definitely has its issues um I will say I understand the uh the sentiment of George's love here because I do think Clooney's doing really good work. I just think that this is one of those scenarios where the material for him as a whole, not so great. Um, you know, I do think the work he's doing with Shailene Woodley is really, really good. Um, you know, this aggravation. But I'm not like, despite me being sad for him, I'm like, I'm not as a person... I'm like, dude, you're this rich white guy in Hawaii with all this land. Like, I don't I feel bad for your wife, but I don't feel bad for you. So in that sense, it's just like, ugh. but due to his work, I do feel sentiments for him. Um, and I think this is one of those things where Clooney, if it was anyone else, I don't know if I would feel the same way. Yeah, I have um, I have mixed feelings on this one. I think. Uh, George is good, but I I don't ever really feel blown away by him, and it never really feels like this is the defining George Clooney performance of his career, but I think he does well with it. Um, I think he captures that sad middle-aged man energy quite well. Um, the the Caucasianness of it all is a really interesting piece 
to this formula. Um, I feel very mixed things on it as a as a whole. I think it's very complicated, and someone who's more well suited for that conversation, I'd love to read something about it. But um, George as a performer, I think he's he's doing fine. I remember when he was like the he was people's front runner for the longest time going into this. People thought this was like a slam dunk George Clooney win um, that we were about to experience. And I remember watching the movie thinking, I mean, if you if you love George Clooney, then then yeah. I mean, he's playing George Clooney. Like George Clooney's one of those actors who he has performances that I think are truly fantastic. Um, this is unfortunately not one of them. I think George Clooney has a very old Hollywood vibe to his career. So often it feels like you're watching a George Clooney performance in the way that you can watch a Cary Grant performance or a Jimmy Stewart performance and know pretty much what you're going to get. The, the writing is suited for the person, the person is serving the film, but it's not always the most groundbreaking portrayal. So I think George is good. I don't think he's great in this movie, is kind of what I'm getting at. No, I get it for sure. Um, and you know, with Hawaii being our 50th state and the, the history of that, I mean, the whole history of this country is just colonization, but like to not even give the story, uh, the people who, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's just a lot to the story that just bothers me. Um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> right. So like, I understand that like this character is, I think he's supposed to have some sort of ancestry in the indigenous but, folks. Not even like real, real indigenous Hawaii, like Hawaiian person. Like it's a completely fake princess from my understanding. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I don't, I'm unfortunately don't know the history of it all, but yeah, it's, there seems to be a lot of questions surrounding the conceit of this film. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I find myself at odds with it. Maybe we're overthinking it, blowing it out of proportion. Who knows? Someone's probably pulling their hair out listening to this. But I I would really like to read someone's take, someone who has a little bit more of a personal connection, uh, personal response to this film. Uh, maybe we're just, you know, being too well-meaning in our assessment. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a movie that I... I have some questions about. If you have a native Hawaiian critic and they have a take at them when you hear this to us, so we can get that take. Um, next, we have Gary Oldman um, for Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. This is his first of two nominations. Um, going into this, um, he wins the Empire Award which I know we don't bring up very often on here, but it was the only major-ish thing that he won for, so I just kind of wrote it down. And um, he's recognized with BAFTA, National Society of Film Critics, and with 
AARP. In Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, uh, Gary plays George Smiley, a veteran spy for British intelligence who is brought out of semi-retirement to catch a potential traitor within the organization. So how do you feel about Gary Oldman and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? I, okay. Uh, Jimmy Fallon has that beautiful um, ale skit with, it's her stepdad Gary, ale. And that's <laughs> all I can think of is like stepdad Gary. Ew. I've never finished this movie. I can't finish this movie. This movie is boring as fuck. I don't think I've ever gone past an hour in this film. Um, the performances aren't helping it. Gary's not helping it. I don't understand it. So maybe the last hour or something is something there. But even going to revisit this at the like the hour, I'm like, no, can't do this. It's such a bad story from what I'm getting from it. And Gary's performance is very one note, so I don't have much to say on this one. And I don't usually do that with these performances, um, but yeah, not good. I actually kind of like this movie. Um, I remember watching it for the first time way back when and thinking it was all right. And um, watching it again, there's sort of... um, There's sort of a sophistication to it in the way that it is presented and the way that it sort of blooms um, very steadily uh, from beginning to end. Um, Gary Oldman is giving a very, I know this word actually gets thrown around a lot, but I feel like it really applies with this particular performance. He's very stoic. Um, He's very difficult to read um, throughout this movie. And considering he's playing a seasoned spy who has basically been training his entire life to be unreadable it kind of it works here and i can sense the frustration that a lot of people might have not being able to get into a person's head not be able to empathize with them because this character does not really emote that often And I think that's just the nature of this person and how he functions within his field and how the character functions within this film. It's a character that I find myself constantly watching. Like my mind is like a jackhammer trying to break him to finally look past his eyes and read his mind. And Gary Oldman is quite quite good at building this wall um and when he starts playing people in the uh, second half of the film he sort of um becomes this british intelligence columbo type character who has all the pieces he's just kind of putting it all together and letting people dig their own holes and give him more evidence and more clues that will help him connect the pieces that's some really interesting stuff he's able to do while maintaining this mysterious stoic persona um like i'm thinking of the scene i think it takes place on like a tarmac where he's basically interrogating a person it starts out like a casual conversation and by the end the guy's like in tears 
uh, because he he thinks he's about to be caught or accused and imprisoned or executed. And there's like a literal plane on the tarmac with its blades blades going real fast, very slowly approaching this conversation. And the guy is getting more uncomfortable and George Smiley is just standing there like nothing is wrong. Um, it, it comes together quite well for me. There's there's a certain elegance to this film that I really admire, but I can completely understand why that just speaks to me and perhaps a very niche group of people. I, I get why a lot of people find this film boring, um, why it feels like nothing is really happening, or why Gary Oldman doesn't seem to be doing anything. I don't fully subscribe to that, but... Um, I I like it, I guess, more than, than most folks seem to. More power to you, man. I can't get through it, and it's been 10 years by the time this episode comes out. This movie's been out. No way in fucking hell. I mean, I just look at Gary Oldman, and it's like, Sid and Nancy, hello, Harry Potter. I know I mentioned that like in when he won for whatever the fuck movie he won for. But um, yeah, this just doesn't do it for me either. Gary Oldman has two uh, nominations that are very uninspired to me. Well, um, our fifth and final uh, leading actor nominee is Bradley Pitt, nominated for Moneyball. This is his third of four acting nominations. Uh, Going into this, he was a bit of a critic's favorite, it seems. He wins with the National Society of Film Critics and with the New York Film Critics. He is also recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, and SAG, and uh, though not technically an acting uh nomination i think it's worth noting that he was also nominated on the night for producing moneyball so i'm sure that was you know part of the the conversation he seemed to be having a year in that regard in moneyball uh pitt plays billy bean a general manager for the oakland a's who is struggling to build a top tier baseball team while balancing the responsibilities of being a father so how do you feel about Bradley Pitt in Moneyball? He's good. Um, like Jonah Hill, he's good. But I don't really see what he's stretching for here. Um, I honestly forgot that he was still in this lineup when you said we our last nominee. I was like, wait, well, who? So uh, just to go to show you, not very memorable for me. Um how do I do this without with actually trying to contribute to this conversation a little bit? Uh, this is this is Brad doing his best with the material he's given. I don't know what else I can contribute to this. I feel like this is a, I mean, which is not a bad thing. It's a very Brandon-led episode, but I'm just not the this both of these lineups just don't do it for me. So I just gotta fill space i guess so there it is so um this is one that i found surprisingly pretty moving on this rewatch um like i said with um jonah hill um in the beginning this is a movie that i saw way back in its day and was not really fond of it overall i thought it was just fine um pretty much across the board and um, on this rewatch, the movie really 
it really hit me in an unexpected way. Um, I liked it more overall than I did before. I liked Jonah Hill more than I did before. And I got more out of Brad Pitt than I did the first time. Um, I can see why it doesn't seem like he might be stretching himself in this role. And I think, I think it's true that he's not stretching himself because I think instead he is digging deeper than he has in other performances. Um, it might not be a showy showcase in the way that some other leading actors might be chomping at the bit to do, but I saw a real humanity to this character and a lot of sorrow. Um, this is a guy who is really passionate about what he does and it comes at the cost of his fatherly responsibilities. And I think he feels really bad about that. And his cure to that is more work, which in, in turn worsens his family's scenario even more. Um, there's also, I think, some, some regret and broken dreams going on with this character because he was um he, he had a path to being a star player himself and then that didn't really happen and he's still functioning within this league um this professional field in a completely different um in a completely different way and i think even though he is good at what he does, I think it still kind of gnaws at him that he could have been something else. And I kind of, I kind of know what that feels like in my own way. So I found myself really feeling for this character. Um, the fatherhood stuff is not quite on the level with me, of course. Um, I, I will likely never be a, a father. But the... Um, the, the regrets and broken dreams thing really, really clicked for me this time around. And it's not just, you know, your sad middle-aged dude type character. He has a lot of charm to him and there's some humor involved, the way these guys sort of bust each other's balls in the way older men like to say, which I always thought was a weird term and vaguely homoerotic. And... I don't know. There was something really unexpectedly moving to me about this performance, and I'm still not quite fully, I'm still not quite able to put it into words, but I was sort of entranced by this performance more so than I ever imagined I would be on this rewatch. Like, I really just rewatched the movie to refresh my memory, because all I really remembered about it was, like, statistics and baseball. And, and, you know, so I had to refresh myself. And uh, I don't know. I was quite surprised by what I gleaned from it this last time. So um, I actually really dig it. Ooh, are you about to pull a double? We're going to find out. Um, We did get a question from Greg Adams to finish this up. Was the best actor race close i vaguely remember thinking Clooney, Clooney had a shot 
I don't know if it was close in, let's say it could have been anybody, but I do think that Clooney on paper had a shot, but also too, you have to remember Oldman and Bashir essentially had that out of nowhere nomination. So maybe it was a four-way race with Brad just happy to be there. I don't know. What are your thoughts? From what I remember, it seemed like Clooney was the one to beat, even though on Bashir, or I'm sorry, even though on paper, Dujardin um, seemed to be the front runner in terms of the numbers. But for some reason, I I recall like in the media, everyone keep, kept positioning positioning the Oscar as Clooney's to lose. Um, so I would imagine it was relatively close with um, Bashir and Oldman being those, I don't even know if they were really even in the running as upsets, but as the sort of wild cards. Um, so yeah, I, I would imagine it was close-ish. Well, history said it was Dujardin. So, and Queens, before we get to the rankings, a word from, well, me and our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to share a bit of the spotlight with, I don't know, Meryl Streep, Jessica Lange, Angela Bassett, and maybe hopefully one day someone like Aquafina, or play a game where Daniel Kaluuya is on a team? Well, this year, Queens, you can, thanks to today's sponsor, The Star Draft. As the listeners already know, Hollywood Awards season is finally almost, almost here, and God knows it's a long one this year, and The Star Draft lets you be a part of it like never before. What is it, though? Well, I'll tell you. It's a little like fantasy football. I don't know what that is, but I do know that it meets the Golden Globes, and I definitely know what that is, and here's how it works. Head to thestardraft.com to create a league to invite friends or join a public league to make new ones. Draft a team of 10 actors and musicians, musicians who are actors or actors who happen to sing. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. Do you think Olivia Coleman is going to sweep every awards show this winter? Draft her. I know she did the last time. She did really, really good. Hashtag the favorite. Before every nomination and award show, set a lineup. Every time your actor or musician earns an accolade, they earn your team points. Then sit back, relax, watch the awards ceremonies as you, I don't know, drink a beer, eat some nachos, fight with your grandma. I don't care, but rehearse your acceptance speech. The site's top scoring team at the end of Oscar night earns a cash prize. Hey, you may not walk away with an Oscar, but you will walk away with cash in your pocket. It's 100% free, and because we love the Star Draft and you all so much, well, most of you, we've created a public league that you can join right now. Seriously, join us. All you have to do is sign up and join our Academy Queens League at thestardraft.com. That's www.thestardraft.com. We look forward to beating you all award season long and probably beating you more than others. Love you guys. Shall we get to our rankings? Sure. All right. As a reminder, uh, your Best Supporting Actor nominees of 2011 were Jonah Hill in Moneyball, Nick Nolte in Warrior, Max von Sydow in Extremely Loud Incredibly Close, Christopher Plummer in Beginners, and Kenneth Branagh in My Week with Marilyn. Number five for me is Max von Sydow, just unfortunately does not belong here. Um, so, yeah, five. My number five is Kenneth Branagh. Um, I don't think he's bad. It's just really... I just find myself so uninterested in the performance. And to be honest, I frequently forget that he was even nominated for it. So um, Brana is my number five. Number four for me is Jonah Hill. Um, unfortunately, he does not take the win for me like he did with the Wolf of Wall Street. 
because while he's doing his job, it's nothing spectacular in my eyes. Um, and this just definitely feels like anyone could have played this role. So Jonah Hill at four. Max von Sydow is um, my number four for incre- um, extremely loud and incredibly close. I love von Sydow. I love everything he has contributed to cinema um, for the second half of the 20th century and well into the 21st. Um, this is just not his best outing, and a lot of that has to do with the movie itself. Um, but unfortunately, um, he can't get any higher than number four for me here. Number three is this year's winner, Christopher Plummer. Um, this is um, this is really good, and I feel this on an emotional level, being a gay man, and you know I connect to it in that way. But I just can't help but think this really should have been. Um, um, Ian McKellen, and uh, I'm going to stick with it. So three seems fair for him, for me for him. Jonah Hill is my number three for Moneyball. Um, this is one that I got so much more out of this last time, and I love that he has two nominations so close together that have almost nothing to do with each other uh, in terms of, like, delivery and tone and style and everything. Um, I think he's quite good in Moneyball, Um I think it's unfair that he gets kind of written off for it, but um, he is only my number three in this particular lineup. Um, number two for me is going to be Kenneth Branagh, which means I am giving Nick Nolte the win here. Um, Branagh is good. I really see what he's working with here, and he's not working with much, but he makes the most of it. Nolte, though, hits me every level. You were right with predicting that one. Um it's not too big, it's not too showy, but it's big and showy enough. And on an emotional spectrum, it's heartbreaking. So Nolte definitely should have won this here for me. Christopher Plummer's my runner-up for the, um, Beginners. I think Christopher Plummer's quite good in Beginners. Um, I'm glad that he has an Oscar for this one. Um, in another year, he could very easily be my number one. Um, I think he does his absolute best with what he has um i think someone like you had mentioned uh ian mckellen might have been able to weave in some more layers and nuance that Plummer um was not quite equipped to do but Plummer does still turn out a really lovely believable heart-rending performance um in beginners nick nolte in warrior though is um the one who makes me feel the most um this movie gives him so many opportunities so many highs and lows um and you kind of you feel a mix of emotions while watching this character's life unfold and spiral and sort of bounce back um i just really i don't know i i feel something while watching this performance so I think that's what's putting Nick Nolte over the edge for me um, when it comes to these other these other guys. So Nick Nolte's my winner for Warrior. We agreed. Yeah. Yay. Um, and uh, as a reminder, those nominees in the leading category were Jean Dujardin for The Artist, uh, Damien Bashir for A Better Life, George Clooney for The Descendants, Gary Old Man. For Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, and Bradley Pitt for Moneyball. I'm going to put George Clooney at number five for The Descendants. Um, he's perfectly all right in The Descendants, 
but for me, this is Clooney at his Clooneyest. Like, I feel like it's George playing George, and um, I'm just not a huge fan of the film overall. So, uh, all things considered, uh, George is going to be my last place here. Last place, Gary Oldman. No need. Um, Gary Oldman is my number four here. Um, I know I talked him up quite a bit in um, his portion earlier, because um, I feel like it's a it's a performance that deserves a little bit more credit than it gets. Um, but it doesn't quite move me in the way that the remaining performances do, even though I find it intellectually very interesting. And I like the film overall more so than a lot of other folks seem to. Um, but Gary Oldman's only my number four for Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. Um, my number four is Brad Pitt. Um, again, I think he's fine, but it's not anything to write home about for me. So, yeah, Brad Pitt's got to go at four here. My number three is the winner, uh, Jean Dujardin. Um, I think he's quite good here, and he's very well suited for this performance. Um, he balances uh, the comedy and the drama quite well. Um, he's quite talented on his feet during the dance uh, sequence. Um, it's overall a very well-executed performance, um, but it, it doesn't quite stir me in the way that um, the other two do. So uh, Jean Dujardin is only my number three for the artist. Um, number three for me is going to be George Clooney. Um, I get what he's going for here, but it as a whole just doesn't work for me. So, yeah, Clooney's got to go three. Um, this might be a bit of a shocker, but Dam uh, Damian Bashir is my runner up for A Better Life. Um, I think he's quite good in this, and I wish he had more opportunities like this one. There's a whole lot going on in this movie. I just don't know if it's quite... I don't know if the movie is living up to its potential. And I think it sort of lets him down at times. Because um, he is definitely doing the work. I just don't know if it's quite... Like I said earlier, every time I watch this movie, I feel like there's something more. Something that is not being met and um maybe it's the direction i don't know but um i can't help but feel that way when i watch this movie uh but with brad pitt and moneyball i felt a weird range of emotions while watching the film um the character i found to be very see i i want to say relatable even though i don't really know anyone quite like him but he managed to be a person who works in a field doing a very specific thing that I don't understand and yet by the end I felt like I knew him and that I understood him and perhaps it's because this movie hit me in a very unexpected way perhaps that's working in Pitt's favor right now um but I feel like it's a more fully realized endeavor, um, this performance in Moneyball. Um, so I guess as of right now, Brad Pitt is my winner in this lineup. 
Wow. Okay. All right. Um, took me by surprise. That was a, that was a, that was a shocker. Okay. Um, number two is going to be the delicious Jean Dujardin. Uh, so you were correct again with me. Um, Demian Bashir is one. Number two now is yes, he's beautiful. He's delicious. Um, he makes a perfect bottom in the players. Uh, but his performance wise is actually really, really good. Um, I can see what he's doing here and, uh, the movie works for him and he works for the movie and he definitely deserves a second place for me. But Demian Bashir had me from when I saw this, he was my winner on the night. He's my winner to this day. Um, I, it, I think it's the most complex, the biggest arc and the most well-formed acting performance in this bunch. Um, it is amazingly heartbreaking and I wish more people remembered this one and gave it more credit because he deserves it. So my winners this year are Nolte and Bashir. Yeah, and I have uh, Pitt and Nolte. Awesome, awesome. Anything else? Um, I think that about covers it. All right, Queens. Well, next week is it. We're done with the with this decade next week. So hope the ride's been fun, and we'll see you at the season finale. And uh, Brandon, on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>